Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball, brought to you by RamShirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ram Shirts. Visit Ram Shirts for all your custom apparel needs. Listeners of this podcast, you get 25% off with promo code BASEBALL. Uh, Today, my guest, Adam C. McKinnon from Romantic About Baseball podcast and author of the book Baseball for Kids. A Young Fan's Guide to the History of Baseball. Adam, thanks for coming on, buddy. Appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be here. So tell me about your podcast and how you got that started. You do it with Jim Passan. Yes. That's someone, that, that's someone most people confuse with the writer, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's kind of a running joke, actually. It's uh, Yeah, I call him the Stat Master General. And uh, Jim, uh, yeah, I started the podcast... Um, it actually was an offshoot of the blog. Uh, had I started the Romantic About Baseball blog a few years ago to very little, if any, audience, and um, I had just written something that I was pretty, I was pretty proud of. So I basically was like, "How well? I don't know how you network these things." So I just started DMing people on Twitter. If your DMs were open, and you were a baseball writer in like 2018 or 2019, you probably got a message from me. And, um, the, uh, I sent out like a bunch of messages. Hey, read, can you read this? Tell me what you think. Yada, yada, yada. Jim was the one who got back to me, the one who got back to me. And, uh, <laughs> he, uh, and he said, yeah, I like it. And, uh, we kind of started talking and I thought, you know, uh, there's a podcast in this. And so that's, that's the very unexciting, unromantic, if you will, uh, beginnings of the romantic about baseball podcast but um it has really taken on a, a life of its own a life of its own since and yes people do confuse in fact jim gets jeff's dms which is not a pleasant experience sometimes uh based on what i've seen and what he's told me but um yeah it's been a running joke jeff passan jim passan we actually had jeff on the show one time and that was a that was a good that was a good laugh so you are romantic about baseball. Tell me about your childhood and when you fell in love with baseball. I'm just assuming you are in love with baseball. Yes, yes. It's been a long-running affair. Um, and uh, it's it started probably in, in – I'm going to take a educated guess at this but because my dad and I go back and forth on exactly when. But it was – I grew up a uh, Braves fan in the greater Philadelphia area which was a lot easier in those days because the Braves were good and the Phillies weren't. And, um, the 
well, except for that one year in, in 93, but the, uh, the Braves were on TBS. So, you know, you could watch the Braves when you watch the Cubs during the day on WGN and you watch the Braves and on TBS at night. And, um, the, so I grew up watching the nineties Braves and all their glory. And, uh, I got to go to my first game at veterans stadium in Philadelphia, probably about, it was either 1992 or 1993. And I'm thinking it was 93 towards the end of the season or in the postseason mm-hmm. when we got to go to, to a game. And so since then I've been, I've been hooked. Yeah, I guess like we're about the same then I grew up, uh, Braves fan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bob Horner, Dale Murphy. I just actually talked about this on the last show, so I won't go into it anymore. I don't want you guys <laughs> to have to hear about how I was a Braves fan as a kid. I think so many people were. Right. And it's, and it's too bad that they weren't really good back then. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it was it's funny because the Braves were if you think about it, you if you were, you know, you had the Braves and the Cardinals and those were the only real southern teams, you know, by by definition, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you had the Florida Marlins, I guess, but they didn't show up until 1993 and they weren't any good. Um, except for well, 97 and 2003, I guess. But, you know, the biggest thing is, was that the Braves had the biggest network. So a lot of kids for of my age group, you know, they're, or your age group, they're, they're your first exposure to baseball mm-hmm. was the Braves, you know, or the, or the, or the, the Cubs. Um, but the Braves were good in the nineties. So that's where like, Oh, I can watch this team and they're good. So I think that's what spurned a lot of that. I had Bill Brown on here a couple of times and uh, mm-hmm. I, I, he, he has a new book uh, broadcasting one one And I yeah. asked him about, you know, he kind of talked about his beginnings and when he, he was with the reds, he was telling me, yeah, we used to only broadcast like 30 games a year. And I had no idea. I mean, I thought every every team showed every game like the like the Braves and the Cubs did. I had no idea. That yeah, that's that's the way it was. Well, it used to be a network event. It used to you were fighting for space with the with the NFL, and you were fighting for space with all these other things. And there was not as many networks. It was much more. On one hand, it was more national. It was a truly a national game. But that also meant there was less space for the same amount of teams. You know, it wasn't as tribal, but it wasn't as as available at the same time. All right. Tell me what gave you the idea for your book, uh, The Baseball for Kids. So that is, again, a very I'm, I'm, I'm really coming up short on the whole romantic element of things on this uh, on this episode here. Uh, the book was actually brought to me. Um, the, uh, I had gotten a email from a publisher that had been reading my work, uh, my writing work at the, at romanticaboutbaseball.com. And they had a, they just said, Hey, we don't really have much, but we have an idea for that. You know, we want someone to write a kid's book about baseball because there's just not as many out there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, and they brought it to me and I was like, okay, I I never fancied myself to be a kid's author um, or anything like that. But when they brought me the idea, you know, I did really think about it that growing up, I didn't, I, I there weren't a lot of baseball kids books, you know, it was, you learned the game by watching it on TV. 
And, and that's a lot harder to do these days than back then. And so, uh, what I was hoping for was to create something of a, you know, of a guided tour of the game so that when kids watch a broadcast, they have something to draw on, you know, or they, they talk about baseball, they have some sort of point of reference because it's a lot harder to get your hands on the game now than it used to be. Did you happen to see the, uh, when they played the NFL, uh, playoff game on Nickelodeon? I, I got, I didn't see the game itself, but I did get a, like, you know, everybody was talking about how good of a job they did. Yeah. So I just no someone tweeted about it. So I, I, this was like way early in the first quarter. They, you know, someone tweeted about it. So I switched to it and I never went back. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm almost 50 years old and I enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. I think the, you know, the young people they had call on the show. I thought it was good. It was just, I mean, but what was good about it is, you know, during the game, they would explain the rules and this is, you know, Hey, this is offsides. And then somebody would say, this is what offsides is. And, and I mean, just you, you were talking about having a baseball book for kids and teaching them the rules. And I just had the idea that Nickelodeon should do this with baseball. That would be an amazing idea. Well, you're exactly right. You know, one thing that one thing that football has figured out that baseball has not is how to um, how to access a different audience and what to do with that audience. You know, while while baseball, we're sitting around here talking about pitch clocks and three batter minimums and all that stuff. You know, NFL said, well, why don't we just go where the kids are and not talk to them, you know, sort of cast aside the sort of like conceitedness that baseball has amongst itself. We're like, we're so happy. We're so proud of our history and lineage and all this stuff with the game, but we don't think we don't stop to like, think like, Hey, maybe we should repackage this in some way. So yeah, yeah, that it's accessibility, man. That's all it is. So you brought up the rules changes, which is actually Mm -hmm. the next topic. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wrote down, I actually saw yours. You wrote down all the rules changes and you had X's and uh, check marks next to them. So let's go. I'll just go in order of how you had them. Uh, The seven inning double headers. You a fan of that? I love it. I think it's, I think it's smart. I think it's, um, you know, I, I think in the modern age of baseball, with the injuries the way they are with scheduling the way it is. I think that at some point we have to, if you're going to play double headers, let's, let's make it a more palatable product for the casual fan and let's make it a safer game for, uh, you know, for the players too. So I love seven inning double headers. I agree with you. I, I do like them. I think they're pretty cool. I mean, I, I sat down and watched a two seven inning double headers back to back and had no trouble watching it. So, right, uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, what about the runner on second extra innings? So, I actually quote tweeted and and sort of put up a, a qualifier to this. I don't like this runner on second, but I acknowledge that something has to be done about extra innings. Um. I, I talked about it where, you know, we as baseball fans, okay, really, um, those are really immersed in the game. We like to talk about 
15 inning two to one games, right? Mm-hmm. Another example I used when I worked in retail, you know, guys would work obnoxious hours and just do these insane things, not because they really loved doing it, but because they would have a really cool story to tell later. Right. And I kind of feel like that's how we are right now with baseball and extra inning games. Like we love to talk about, you know, a 15 inning two to one game. Oh, what a grind. And yeah, da, 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 da. but when it's happening, it's not, it's literally not fun for anybody. It, you know, at least I don't think so. It's not fun for the players because they're getting burned. Mm-hmm. It's not fun for the writers because they're up there trying to meet deadlines. It's not fun for the fans, at least a vast majority of the fans. So I'm not saying I don't like the idea of like, hey, you know, I have to explain to like, I try to think of explaining it to a new fan. I don't want to have to explain like, okay, yeah, they didn't get a hit, you know, sack fly, you know, bunt and sack fly, but they won the game. But I also also don't want to be sitting there in the 15th inning like, okay, I know it's still like one to one, but something might happen here. Right. So um, I can't, I, I have other ideas. We should do something about extra innings, but that maybe not the runner on the second. You talked about, uh, you know, people watching a 15 inning game and it is excruciating and boring and whatever you want to call it, but you kind of earn a badge of honor, you know, to brag about it. Yeah. I watched every inning. I, you know what I mean? And right. And uh, it's kind of like, I just had the thought of, it, it, this is weird, and I, and everybody I know talks about it the same way. But when your your dad would discipline you as a kid, you know <laughs> you hated it. But as an adult, you tell the story, and it's funny. You know, oh, my dad used to whip our butts. You know, and it it makes it funny, but it wasn't funny at the time. So it's kind of like the same. I don't know why that came to my mind. But. No, well, it, it's it's a it, I get it, but it, my my counterpoint to that would be that's all well and good, but but baseball is supposed to be something that we enjoy. And so we enjoy it like like you and me and, and people like that came up that way. It's like the same thing with starting pitchers. Like, yeah, we, we miss the days of Greg Maddox throwing 80 pitches and, and finishing a game. Right. Mm-hmm. We miss the days of, you know, you know, you know, Seaver going out and throwing complete games. Like we always opine about those days, but they're gone. And the whole thing of, having a new fan come into the game. And this is the point I made on the podcast last night is that, you know, I, I miss the days when the baseball had more of a cultural foothold where if the Braves go to the world series, let's just, you know, humor Mm -hmm. me for a minute, right? Let's say the, the, when the Braves make a deep run in the postseason or they go to the world series, I, I miss the days when I was younger and it overtook the city. It was everything had Atlanta. Everyone was glued to their screens. And I get it. The Falcons were bad back then. They're bad now, but a different kind of bad. Right. Um, but the thing that got me was that that was because there was a lot of fans. Now, if we keep sort of like gatekeeping and we keep saying like, oh, no, we're not going to do this because it messes with the game. Right if we're not willing to do make these little concessions, eventually it's going to be like this small subset of people. It's going to continue to marginalize itself. So, you know, if we're talking about like, it's a badge of honor for us, but for someone that like, for, I imagine taking my daughter to a game and we're in the 14th inning 
And I'm just trying, no, no, something will happen. Something will happen. You're going to lose new fans, you know? Yeah. So I think that's where I'm, I mean, I could, there's credence to both sides here, but I, my viewpoint is if we keep talking about wanting more fans and that cultural experience of having a whole city behind a team, you got to have a whole city interested in the team to start with. One thing that that I always point out about the game of baseball, and and you talk about trying to bring in new fans and you know different things, but in my honest opinion, if if your team that you're invested in and that you love isn't in the game, or it's not a playoff game, it's not that interesting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just just to let, let's say you get on Sunday. And we know that football is different because there's less games and everything is more important. But, I mean, you'll watch, you know, the second, you know, you'll watch the, the Giants and the Eagles play because uh-huh. it's Sunday afternoon and that's just what you do. But you're not going to turn on the TV and watch the Marlins play whoever, whoever else is horrible. I can't think right. of any bad. But, I mean, if you love the Marlins, you can watch it. And the reason I think this is – um. Like we went, me and my wife went to Boston and I was so excited and it was such an amazing experience. But by like the seventh inning, I'm like, okay, well, this is just a game. You know, I've already seen the stadium and I don't really care who wins. You know, I enjoy it, but I mean, it's, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I mean, baseball does need to change to bring in new people. It doesn't need to change for me and you Mm -hmm. because we already love it. So I mean, so I, I totally agree with you. And and the next topic, I think I'm against this because and now I, I feel wrong because you <laughs> but the universal DH, I, I like I like the the uh the leagues to be different. I, I think it I, I I'm against interleague play. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just cool. I liked how it was last year, how you know, you 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 didn't play like, certain play. teams, and you had no measuring stick. You know, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I mean, again, this is this to me is more of a question of subjective opinion. I don't think that the game. I, I think watching pitchers go up there and flail about, you know, four times a game, three three times a game, you know, okay. I mean, I don't I don't think that's really. Um, uh, I, I disagree. I think that the universal DH gives, it gives people, it, it's a win on two fronts. It's a win for the fans because yes, there's more offense. There's a true hitter in the lineup. There's also, it's also a win because now players that are brand names that have gone far enough in the league to establish themselves. I'm thinking of myself, if I'm a Minnesota fan, right? You, uh, or, you know, maybe a bad example because it's an American league team. But you know, you signed Donald Josh Donaldson because he's a fiery personality. He's gonna be a name brand up there, and he's gonna be at DH. You right. know, um, I'm thinking of Marcelo Zuna in Atlanta this past year. I mean, what a great guy to have on your team. But watching him play left field is like watching jazz. You just don't you, you know where he starts, but you're not really sure where he's gonna finish. And that's you without him in the lineup. I feel like a guy like him in a national league lineup. I feel like the game's just missing something for the sake of missing something. Right. And that's not to invalidate the other side of opinion. I I understand. I grew up with the, the leagues being into, it's not going to hurt my feelings, but 
Again, it's just little concessions, I think, that would go a long way with newer fans. So on the other side of that argument, and I'm going to contradict myself, I like how the leagues are different because I like I like how the American League has to go to the National League Park and play under their rules and their strategies. I just think that's interesting. However, when the Astros moved to the American League, I was pumped because we had the DH. So, so I just like I'm against myself now. There you go. So <laughs> let's let's do it. That's I, right. So, so I'm for the universal DH. But I also like the the way the leagues are different. I like the strategy. Uh, what about the playoff format from last year? I mean, they haven't even announced what they're going to do. Did you like yeah. that last year? No, I, I think. Well, and I am not against expanded playoffs, but I am against whatever that. Is. Uh, that was that was a little much. I, I haven't really fleshed this idea out in my head, but I would say eight teams from either league is too much especially with the climate the way it is baseball with tanking and all that other junk that goes along with it. So my, my thought was if you're going to add something, maybe add another wild card. And what you do is you have a one game wild card and the winner of that wild card game goes to a best of three. And then you, then from there you go to the traditional playoff methods. Um, you know, a, that way you still have teams. You're you're still weeding out the bad teams. I don't think bad teams should go to the playoffs. But I also think that if you incentivize these middling teams, these 81 and 81 teams, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, in these teams like the Reds and the Phillies and the, you know, the NL East is going to put up like three or four like pretty decent to strong teams this year. Mm-hmm. So I would, if the, if things don't go, like I could see the Braves and Mets, you know, going, if the Marlins like suddenly catch fire at the end of the season and they're for real. Yeah. I, I'd love to see them in the playoffs. If the, uh, if the, um, uh, in the West, let's say the giants, like suddenly they find something. Yeah, dude, get them in there. Because with the way the polarization, good teams and bad teams, I don't necessarily want to see the same teams every year. But I also want a good product. What about the three batter minimum? Got to have it. I mean, I am. I, I think this is where me and Jim uh, disagree. But I, I really, I, I think the three batter minimum. If we uh, sabermetrics and, and analytics, I am a huge analytics guy. I'm a big proponent of it, and I know everybody like that says that like usually isn't, but like me for real, like I'm really into it. But I also think you have to have some kind of guardrail in place, where you know I don't love the idea of because if you let this go unchecked, all right, because now we're at a point, you know, before three batter minimum, we're at a point where you can have. You know, I've seen innings where you have two or three pitchers in one inning. And that's too much, man. Like yeah. that, like that's like just sucking the life out of the game. So I feel like you have to have some kind of guardrail in place. And I think a three batter minimum is a is a reasonable, uh, reasonable guardrail to keep the game moving, but also and also keep rosters from starting to drift into you've got a 25 man roster and only two bench players. You got a backup catcher and then like a super utility guy and the rest are all pitchers. 
So you have the three batter minimum and, you know, using the left-handed specialist is, is a strategy. Mm-hmm. And, and some people say it takes away strategy of a team. I mean, I'm for it. I like the three batter minimum, but the next topic is also a strategy and I'm, and, and, you know, people talk about banning shifts mm-hmm. and I'm against banning shifts. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. They want to score more. But I mean, I think if you have a strategy, and that's what I'm talking about, the three batter minimum, if you have a strategy to stop a guy from getting on base, you should be able to use it. I mean, if he hits 90% of his balls between first and second base, you should be able to put your guys over there. And he right. needs to learn how to hit the, to the other side. Well, that's the thing, man, is that when you talk about, you know, and I'm not just agreeing with that because Mark Simon's a friend. Um, but the, the, the thing that gets me about ban- the idea, and I don't think there's any real legs to this, but, um, of banning shifts or capping shifts for whatever reason, you know, we're, we're again, uh, they talk about the three true outcomes. We lack balls in play. Balls in play have gone down cons- precipitously and, mm-hmm. and, and predictably almost every year for the last few years, we're, we're now getting more single, more strikeouts than singles. And so what ultimately boils down to is at some point, baseball has this way of evolving. Hitters are one day going to figure out I can hit it where they're not. And I'm, and I get the argument of it's not easy, especially because, you know, people, Freddie Freeman, they shift on Freddie Freeman all the time and they say, well, why doesn't Freddie just inside out it? Well, that's not easy when guys throw in a 96 mile an hour cutter, you know, on the inner part of the plate. Right. But at some point, like, again, it's like almost like we have to reach the breaking point because that's how it is in baseball. You got to reach the breaking point before you correct course. And so um, banning the shift is a bad idea. And uh, because eventually out of this will come what the game wants, which is more balls in play, more action, and less of, you know, 18 strikeout, 10 walk games. You know what I mean? Right. So let's jump to the, uh, the hall of fame ballot. But mm-hmm. the first, but the first thing I want to bring up is this David, uh, Scretta. I guess that's his name. You've heard of this guy. Uh, yes. Yeah. Is he the, is he one of the blank ballot guys? <laughs> yeah. So, so he says, <laughs> so on this ballot, he said, those that I believe performed at the hall of fame level on the field did not reach that threshold in such areas as character and integrity. And I think this is this guy's first year to vote. Uh Yes, that's uh, so. So here's, I can poke a cow. I can poke a Scott Rowland size hole in that, like Mm -hmm. pretty much from the jump. And here's, let me preface. I I get, it's not easy to be a BBWAA member. It's, uh, I don't, it's something that I am not. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't want to come off as the sort of like criticize without, uh, being able to perform the action, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, here's the thing. It takes 10 years of writing, uh, about baseball as a primary source of income. It's not an easy lifestyle. It's something that people work very hard to get and people, you know, sort of for the most part are treasure that sort of privilege to be able to do what he's doing. And the blank ballot is an insult to begin with. And just like Dan Shaughnessy over the Boston globe submits one, one person, 
ballots. And, and this year, Jeff Kent was the lucky recipient for reasons no one can explain. So this is already aggravating, right? Because that we're going to end up with the Kenny Loftons of the world where they get one and done because out of principle and all that other jazz, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea is, so let's take this guy's specific argument. I can understand, all right? I can, I mean, Omar Vizquel, not a Hall of Famer to me to begin with. And now you're going to add in the domestic violence stuff. Yes, I, I get it. I mean, I think we talked about this on the podcast where of the, there's like 50, uh, half of the ballot, more than half the ballot. Let's take out the people that don't have a shot at it, like the Dan Herons of the world and Troy Hawkins and that, right? There's right. like 14 candidates that are worthy of discussion. Um, more than half of them, more than really three quarters of them, either have some sort of character flaw, like Kurt Schilling's just a trash human. Um, you know, you've got, uh, domestic violence allegations, PED allegations, which I don't really think hold up, but okay, fine. I'll meet you halfway on that. Um, so it's not easy to pick a, pick someone. There's no runaway choice this year. I get it. But if you're going to submit a blank ballot and say that Scott Rowland somehow missed either of those criteria is really, it's kind of self-aggrandizing. It's disingenuous. And it's just really misinformed. Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. And I don't remember any any bad stuff with him, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's for no reason than to make a statement. And this is not about you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.